Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. Josh. Bob. I think, so we have a, we have a twofer, right? We had a yep. one for yesterday, and this <laughs> is like a complimentary twofer uh, topic today. Uh, would you agree with that? I would. I'm trying to tease people. And and I think today I I liked today's Josh I liked I I I think this is a an outstanding metacast today. What's the topic? We're going to talk about talking in public oh in front oh of my, people. Oh my God, Josh, <laughs> Josh, it's this is like one of my favorite. This would be like talking about donuts or or bagels or I know I know right. That's this is so like excited. Bob Galen talking about. That's why I'm so excited. I'm talking about talking. <laughs> Holy crap, holy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, go ahead. We, we, we are continuing from the last episode where we discussed Bob's new, new role uh, working with TechWell, and we talked about growing speakers and diversity of speakers. So, we decided to take an opportunity and talk about our journey into public speaking and lessons we learned and the fear we had and how we overcame them. And, um, just trying to give somebody out there a little bit of a nudge. So that way they take the same leap that we did. I think we covered a really nice job and we have some challenges at the end of the episode where we're looking for feedback metacasters. So I think all of that being said, uh, what do you think, Josh, onto the episode? Onto the episode. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. Hey, Josh. Am I delayed? (laughs) It just was a little bit longer delay than normal. Well, my brain, I have to think, Josh. And as I get older, this synapses, yeah, the the pulses in my head (laughs) take a little bit longer to connect. So don't pick on me, Josh. Don't. I will be good since it's the holiday season. I will try and ratchet it down at least one notch. All right. So we're going to talk about public speaking today. This is a compliment, Metacasters. Uh, Yesterday we did a Metacast. Whenever it comes out, we were talking about my new role uh, with TechWell as a program chair for the TechWell, uh, a couple of TechWell conferences. And then Josh had this great idea of uh, a complimentary talk or Metacast uh, to kind of share uh, our public speaking journeys uh, as a, I guess as a case study, Josh, and then maybe to, you know, case study, inspire people, talk about how to do it. What do you think? Yeah. The big thing for me is to hopefully give someone out there that wants to do it a bit of a roadmap, because as I thought back and preparing for this talk, I just felt like I was wandering out in the wild and hopefully I stumbled on a piece of fruit that helped me go a little bit further. And there were folks like Bob that helped me throughout my, my journey, but there's no, there's no path of, Hey, if I want to go speak at a national conference, here's how you do it. There's no, there's no book. I couldn't really find any how, how to guide. So the hope is that by sharing our journey and some of the journeys we've helped along the way that we can inspire at least one person to reach out to us or to find their own path and they they get a speaking gig in the next 12 to 18 months. So why don't we why don't we put why don't we start it Josh with uh you know maybe an obvious way is it, it is a challenge. So one of the reasons I'm excited about this metacast uh is maybe to inspire people. Uh, what is it the top what is it like the top 2 3 4 things that people are afraid of? Uh, I, th- I think, in, in all joking aside, I, I should have done the research, but everyone can do the Google. But above fear of dying is fear of public speaking. I know it's higher. I think it's one or two. Really? On the fear list, yes. Oh, public speaking is greater than the fear of death. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's true. Uh, and so I, I think what I'd like to say is, is part of any journey is just sort of embrace uh, the agony or embrace the angst or embrace the fear and just, right. just face it. Uh, everyone, 
I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert or how expert you are. I think everyone gets nervous, uh, particularly in the beginning of public speaking. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's sort of, you're not going to be comfortable and just sort of be comfortable with your discomfort and, and try it out. And then one of the things I learned is it gets better, you know, you get better at it over time. So it's a practice thing. Uh, But but everyone is afraid of it. And then when you're afraid of something, you find excuses to not do it. Um, and, and just, you almost have to, I'm sure it happened to you is you just have to sort of force yourself to, to go into the arena and try it. That's what I did. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, you know, once you get through it, it's like, Oh, okay. It sort of sucked, but it wasn't so bad. And I, and I certainly right. didn't die. So maybe I can do it again. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree completely. And I don't know if your experience is the same, but for me, that fear melted away in the first couple of minutes. So it was like in in football, going out for that first series, there were nerves and there was excitement and there was everything. And then by like the third or fourth play, it was gone and you were just doing your thing. And I had a similar experience with the speaking gigs I've been up to and everyone I've been till then. To me, the nerves are always there. But after the first couple of minutes, it's gone and I'm in my groove. So I don't know if you have a similar pattern of fear and excitement and everything that goes along with that. I, I have the same the pattern. I think, I think there is a difference. I've talked to people over the years. I think there's a difference in introverts and extroverts and how they interact with public speaking. And I think extroverts have an easier time of it than introverts. And so they have less initial fear and then they have they have a quicker turnaround time to comfort. For example, my my I remember when I first started. So I started my first public speaking gig at a conference was I think in 1999, 90, 1998 or 99. And uh, I don't even remember the freaking talk. Uh, so my discomfort was halfway through. So let's say 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah. And I mean, I did it. I did the talk and the talk went well. But I was so nervous and so nauseous and so sort of anxious that I don't remember it. I, and I, I made the mistake, I think, of pairing was, I think it was an even bigger mistake because a, a guy and I paired on it on the talk, uh, which is a challenge to, you know, I think you need to be more comfortable as an individual speaker before you start pairing with someone. And, uh, and so it just, it, it just, I was very anxious. So I, I think depending on your personality, your introversion, extroversion, it, it factors in. Uh, but even to this day, Josh, uh, and I mean, I've done, I don't know, hundreds of talks. Uh, I still get nervous on every yeah. talk. Yeah, uh, and then to your point, though, it goes away. I mean, it's, I'm not even, it, it goes away so quickly for me that it's not even, I, I'm not even really consciously aware of it so much anymore. But I do, I do get nervous. So that's, mm-hmm. that's part of that thing that I think folks have to overcome. Um, so that's, that's the one thing is overcome the fear. What do you, maybe we go into, what do you get out of it before we talk about our journey? You know, like, why do you do it? Yeah. So I was thinking through that. And, and as you were talking, I was trying to figure out if I would have sought to speak at the conference, if I never bumped into you in my journey, right? Because that was a part of who you were when you, and I met, and I don't know if I would have done that. Um, if you and I hadn't met and we hadn't started doing this, but the thing that I always come back to is I come from a family of teachers. So my mom, my dad, my wife, my stepmother, two of my aunts and an uncle teachers. So there's some weird thing inside of me that fits in with that teaching thing that that's what, makes me happy it's a part of who we are as a family i guess and this is the this is the outlet for me to have that happen at a relatively grand scale right like i can teach folks on my team and i can do that but the but the opportunity to get up and speak in front of a group and hopefully have them walk away with a single nugget that will make their next day better that's something that makes me happy i mean that's why we do the podcast is for all those same reasons it's funny that you say that because years ago when I lived in New York, I taught evening uh, computer skills like Microsoft Word and Excel to adults at a community college. 
And uh, I was working, I was a manager, I think. This was in the early days of my software management career, so maybe 80s, mid-80s or something like that. And uh, and uh, I... Not only did I like teaching people, but I, it, I had these side effects of it. I enjoyed it. Uh, it made me think because I, I, people had not people have different ways of learning. So I had to think on my feet is the best way I can describe it. Right. So I had to communicate the same concept in different ways to different people, and so it made me a better communicator because just to help different people, you know, see how to do things. Uh, and I think public speaking is the same thing. It's one of the reasons I got into it is it made, it, it, it allowed me, it, it made me think on my feet. It made me more adept. And, and that's increased over the years yeah. as, pe- as people ask me challenging questions. Like, I don't know if I answer, answer questions the same way all the time. In fact, I don't think I do. I think I think about the context and I think about the person and I think about the room and the conference I'm at and things like that. And I'm very situational, and I was back in the teaching. And I think teaching, effective teachers have to be situationally aware um, and not be stuck on, you know, one-size-fits-all answers. And, and I, think, I think that actually was one of the things that, one, motivated me to do it, um, and then it helped me with – so then public speaking helped me with my teaching. And it, it also helped me with my leadership because you have to communicate with – other people, right? You have to communicate with senior leaders and things like that. So side effects, did you, have you seen side effects? Has it made you better in certain areas? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's gotten me to the point where um, the point you made about thinking on your feet. So um, in a board meeting and you're talking through and you've got this plan and then um, some investor asked a question that's completely sideways from uh, the direction you're trying to take the talk. And you've been there, you've done that. And it's helped throughout that process and helped with the teams as well. But um, I've found that in those moments of stress and oftentimes a board, board meeting or something like that is one of those things um, where it's a group of people you aren't with the whole bunch. Um, it's helped in situations like that. That's one of the things that's kept me going with it is, it, I mean, when I first started it, I, one of my personality types is if I, if I struggle with something, I want to try to do it to get better at it. So my writing is like that. So years ago, I sucked at writing. I'm still not a good writer, but um, it's, a, you know, it's, it's something that I find it was a challenge. So for me, I'm going to attack that by trying to do it and trying to get better repetitiously. And the public speaking was something I was really afraid of because I, I was a flaming introvert. So not, not, I survived the first time, and then I was like, oh, maybe I can do that, and then I can get better at it. So I, I, I enjoyed it to some degree, even though it scared the crap out of me, uh, and, and, then, and then the practicing of it. Uh, I, I think that communication that we're talking about is something that really helped it's, it's beyond thinking on your feet, like interviews, for example. I've noticed yeah, that the, yeah. my public speaking has really allowed me to interview so much better, mm-hmm. um, to inject humor, uh, to defend, like really challenging, you know, to, to meet, you ever, you know, sometimes you're interviewed by a jerk and it's like, how do you handle, <laughs> well, no, no, I don't, I don't mean yeah, it that no, way, but, I, but I like handling, I hand, agree with you. handling really sort of challenging situations and sometimes you answer it and sometimes you deflect and sometimes you can, you're very flexible uh, and, and, and pretty effective uh, even in group interviews and things like that. So I guess what I've, I've discovered is, is a lot of side effects. It's really, it's not public speaking to be a better speaker. There's been all of these sort of interrelated side effects that helps me to be a better leader, to be a better engineer to be a better communicator etc um and uh but i think ultimately i mean what drives you so all of that stuff is all the benefits but what's your one thing did you say it is it the teaching for you is it is it the light bulb moments coming from a family of teachers and coaches and everything that that that, that's that's i enjoy that right that's that's something that i 
um, I find fulfilling is seeing someone take one nugget, one word, one sentence, one something, and use that um, and help make their day better. Um, and and then see that see that joy when they mastered something they've been wrestling with. You know, that's the thing that I always got out of coaching in sports is it's quicker to see and feel that, right? But you're helping a kid work work through something that they've been wrestling with for a while and, and you say, why don't you try it like this? And they go do it. And then they get that big smile of, holy cow, I can do it. So that's one of those things that um, has always put a smile on my face. And that's really what I'm trying to do with all of this, right? Is Is it's fun. I think that's my my big, you know, the big reason that I do it is the same thing. It's it's to try to help. And you hit it. You hit it earlier. It's why we do the Metacast. Right. Is you're trying to we're you know we're trying to help people and things like that. So so why don't we switch gears and talk about maybe talk a little bit about your journey from and and maybe some of the things you've changed. And I'll do the same. But first time you've spoken to more recent stuff and you've yeah. done some pairs with me and things like that, but go back to the first time and then sort of do a, a quick fast forward. And what are some of the key adjustments that you've made and why? Yeah. So the one thing I want to hit before we go there is the introvert and extrovert thing. Yep. Both of us are not extroverts. Like I don't think very close to it, but I think people might not expect it seeing that we have a hundred plus episodes of a podcast. You think, boy, all those guys want to do is talk. But in reality, that's not who we are. Um, so for those, those folks that are out there, they're like, I'm not an extrovert. I don't like getting up and, and talking to people. If you find a passion, this is a rewarding thing. Don't be afraid of it. And don't just label it as, Oh, that's only for people that, 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 that aren't like me, right? That's, that's not true. No, I mean, I don't know what, what are, so I, the last time I did a Myers-Briggs is I, I qualified as an INTJ uh, and the I was introverted. I think now, I've been close a, to the same thing. Like 85% of software developers are INTJs. Yeah. It's a very common type for developer brains, if you will. And in uh, in my I, now what's happened over the, you know, back in the late nineties, my eye was like extremely strong. So I was, you know, and I was leading, I was managing, but I was right. inside myself. I was a, an incredibly strong introvert. Now over the years, my eye has softened. My eye has approached E, if that makes sense. So my eye has softened or moved towards the E, but I'm still not an extrovert. I, I And I probably will never be an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I've just, through practice or whatever, and through growth, it's it's sort of softened it. Or what are you? I it, don't tell me. I don't know if you know, but you strike me as sort of an extrovert a little bit sometimes, right? Uh, what, no, so I I've it's been a while since I've done it, but I think we're the same from a Myers Briggs side. Um, extrovert, I don't. I've forced myself into that just because of the direction I wanted to take my career. It was one of those where um, I'm perfectly comfortable um, sitting in a corner all by myself. And my wife will joke that at parties, I'm the guy in the corner standing there with a Jack and Coke in his hand, perfectly happy not to talk to anybody. Um, and she's the and, opposite. Okay. All right. You know what? If you ever turn to the right or left, I'll be the guy standing right beside you. <laughs> with a jack and coke in my hand not talking to anyone <laughs> so but i won't talk to you even if it's you because i'm more comfortable oh, okay, fine. so i won't that's bother you mean. yeah but i'll be yeah. over there with you <laughs> that's that's funny i i you i and again probably it's because i've seen you on the latter part of your journey right where you've been working yeah. on the stuff you would probably say the same thing about me you wouldn't you would yep. probably not think that i was introverted yep but, but um, that's 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 funny. Uh, so to your point, um, anyone who's 
who's listening in, it's not, I, I think the, the question is go with it, you know, if try it yeah, and exactly. go with it, but don't, don't find excuse. And it's an easy, it's an easy thing to find excuses for. Uh, yeah, because it is such a scary thing. But you know, just just try it out. It's like anyone can do it, mm-hmm. uh, and sure. then take it and then go down the journey. So I want to hear your journey. Give me some yeah. give me some anecdotes on your journey. So, um, like I said, I don't know if I would have gone down this path if I hadn't met Bob. And Bob kind of lit that fire under me to try it. And we we had a a, a local speaking gig here at NC State where Bob was the headliner and I was that local band that they were given a shot and just going to let talk just because, um, but everybody was really there, there to see Bob. And I was nervous. I was excited. I was all of those things. And I think I had like a 45 minute speaking slot and I'm pretty sure I was done 25 minutes. I just tore through the sides, didn't take my time and just, vomited data on, on, on people. And, um, that's been one of the things that in my progression, I've gotten a lot better at is understanding how to have the right pace. And when the best thing you can do is not say a word and you just make a statement and you leave it there and you take a few steps and walk and let it sink in instead of another hammer of another slide and another piece of data, right? When I started, it was, here's all the information I have as fast as I can because I'm nervous and I want to get off the stage. Uh, Whereas now, I generally run right up until the time and maybe even a little bit longer because I'm trying to take my time and I've understood the value of pausing and letting things simmer and boil and do all those things because if you don't let people stop and think and they're just always busy listening, it's hard for them to, maybe it's just me, to take the content and turn it into something of, of, of value. So that's that's been the big arc for me is not being in a hurry and being patient. Um, the second thing that hit me was the first big conference I went to. It was a TechWell conference that was in Vegas. And I wanted to just nail it, right? I wanted it to be <clears throat> this perfect talk and just not even look at the slides, not even just, it was like I was reading a book and I knew every word. And on the flight to Vegas, I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and I couldn't get it and I got frustrated. And so I slammed the lid of my laptop shut and just kind of sat there. I stared out the window for a while. <clears throat> and the thing that hit me that brought peace to me was those 50 or 100 or whatever the number of people were that were in that room, if I messed up, the only one that really knew was me. So the hardest critic going along the way was me. And if I stumbled or if I missed a key point or if I misspoke something, but I just kept rolling with it, the only person that knew was me. So it wasn't like there were 50 people that had the script that I was going to read. And it's not like they were going to say, oh, well, gosh, he just missed that one. And we're going to draw a big red X through, through that. People don't know. People only know what you deliver. So getting to that comfort zone and that, like I said, it brought peace to me where I was like, you know what? If I screw up, unless I like really screw up and trip and fall down, no one's really going to know. And that gave me the confidence to go into that uh, speaking gig um, and do a much better job because I wasn't trying to be perfect because I knew the only person that knew what perfect looked like was me. So it didn't matter if I got a 98% instead of a hundred. So those are, those are the two big things for me is understanding that and that you're the only one that knows what perfect looks like. And then injecting pauses. Those are, those are two big arcs that I've had throughout the speaking career that I've built. I mean, I think, and and I don't know how long you've spoken, Josh. It's not that long, right? You've been, no. you know, I mean, it's long, but it's not, you know, it, it's not 20 years or something like that, maybe right. five years or something. Uh, it took me longer. So when I started public speaking, I was still, let's see, where was I? I had just moved from New York to North Carolina. And 
I still had that New York, like people talk fast in New York City, right? Yeah. So, uh, and you have to talk fast. It's a survival mechanism. <laughs> so I still, so there was that. Then, then going back to what we said earlier, I wanted to help people. Uh, so I wanted to, so my, my view of it was the more I give you, the more I've helped you. Yeah. So, so if I, you know, if I gave you a billion words, that was better than giving you a million words. Yeah. Uh, and I would brain dump and things like that. So my slides were dense. My words were dense. My little heart was in the right place because I was yep. trying to provide value. Uh, and I talked really, really fast. Uh, part of that was my nerves, but part of that was, I mean, even at the end when I, was like, when I wasn't nervous, I was still dumping things. And then as I got approaching the end and I realized I had more slides to go, I even ra I went into third gear, right? <laughs> so, it was like, so, so it was even worse. Uh, I, and now that you mention it, you ha you have a you've really got a a nice sort of a delivery uh, flow where you you're not trying you're trying to make key points. I yeah. remember when you did the leadership summit at Techwell, uh, and you were talking about the, the dude and the donut and uh, leadership and things like that. And you would you you had a nice pace, but you would also come back to key points. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You would make sure. So another thing is not just slow and not just pauses, but I, I think you were you were really sharp on key takeaways. This is so I don't want to leave you with a billion things. I want to leave you with like five key things or something like that, right? This is yeah, and, the top five, and you did right, a great that, job of. Go ahead. And that's one of those things where I just want somebody to take away one thing. So yeah. are there just three things that I can say? seven times to where they actually remember it and hear it. Um, because I, again, just like when we both started, we're just trying to give as much info as possible because we think that's the right answer. But we've learned over time that you're doing a really good job. If they take three things back that change the way they operate. I, I, I think that's, I mean, that's a really key journey point. I, th I think even the silence to your point, and it's something that I, again, going back to my path, I, it's something I can get better at uh, is being even comfortable with silence or letting something seep in, right? Allowing something to seep in uh, or asking an open-ended question to see if folks actually resonated with what's going on. As you were talking, I was, I was thinking of some things that maybe I've added to my journey. And one of the things I think I do is I'm pretty sure I do it pretty well but it's a new thing for me is I walk around a lot. Yes, so I'm, so I walk around, I'm making, I make a lot of eye contact. Uh, mm -hmm. I really pay attention to the room uh, and I'm trying to sense the room. I'm looking for, I, I mean, I'm looking for folks who are getting it. I'm looking for folks who aren't getting it. I'm looking for folks who aren't buying it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense. I'll have fun with people. Sometimes I'll even ask someone directly. Uh, about something. Yep. I, I try to have a conversational tone with the room. I remember in the beginning, it was talk and then Q&A. Uh, this was in the very beginning, right? So, and I would actually tell people, don't ask me a question because <laughs> it would get me <laughs> off track. It would interrupt could, my word. It yeah. would interrupt my word count, right? <laughs> so, yep. Which is, this is an embarrassing revelation, but it would be like, you know, you're going to get, I'm going to spew at you for 55 freaking minutes. And then I'm going to give you, I'm going to bless your little heart with five minutes of Q&A. But don't ask me a freaking question for the first 55 minutes. And I did that for a little while, not very long. Uh, but now I actually embrace questions. I, I mean, I, I don't want to wait to the end for questions ever. I want to, I want to sort of create this conversational dialogue if I can. Now you have to facilitate the the room because sometimes people can dominate. They can get you off track and yeah. things. So you, so you have to be a facilitator. But I, I think I've really found my own like my own engaging style that I'm pretty comfortable with, and I think it works for me. Yeah, I think you 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 certainly do a much better job of traveling the whole room. I I I pace back and forth. Um, I don't do a good, like in a workshop or in the leadership summit, you, you would go deep into the room and all the way to the back of the room 
and have that eye contact with the people in the back. Um, and that's something that's something I don't do. I got to get better at. It's just part of it's part of my path. Uh, I don't know if it was. I think it's. It's. I think so. Maybe this comes back to. This is probably a good. Everyone has to achieve their own style. I think and yeah. their comfort. So what I just described Metacasters is sort of my style. I don't think if you ever saw me, it's mine. Uh, I don't have a copyright on it, but it's, it's, it's mine. Not everyone is going to be comfortable with that. Uh, I don't know how I, I didn't plan it. I did want to engage the audience more over time. I mean, it's something I've worked on for like what, 20 years or 15 to yeah. 20 years. Um, but it, it, it works for me. And it's not just comfortable for me. I, I found it to be effective in, in the way I engage with audiences. Uh, now, back to Josh's point, Josh has a different interactive style, but Josh is equally effective. I mean, in the summit, uh, you had high ratings. People were hanging on your words. Uh, and it wasn't just your style. It's what you have to offer. Yeah, and so it was a combination. So there's not one; st- it's not one size fits all. Um, in fact, very early on, I think I was trying to m- mimic other people. Uh, that I I had attended conferences for a few years, and there were folks that were mentors. They they weren't direct mentors; they were indirect. They were role models. And I remember when I first started public speaking, I was trying to be like someone that I saw speak. Right. And that was actually a bad pattern for me. It, it was so one, I'm nervous and, and I'm new at this stuff. And then I'm trying to, I'm trying to be like someone else and, and it didn't work really well. It felt very artificial. Uh, and then, and then I started finding my own style. What about you? Would you, any reactions to that sort of that style thing, Josh? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't, it wasn't, an individual along the way, but I just thought through as I watched and sat in the talks moments when I was captured, right? My attention was captured and I was really listening and engaged and trying to evaluate the things that caught my attention and trying to recreate those. And again, that's a selfish thing because not everybody's going to work the way I work, but it was at least a, a starting point where I started to pay attention and understand what captivated me and trying to recreate those same moments for other people in the way that I spoke. And one of the things we, where you talked about, it's only been about five years for me. The thing that I've used is that when I was at the dude, we had a monthly team team meeting and I had 50, 60, 70 people that are on my team. So that's like a speaking gig. And it was only a 15-minute session, right? I didn't get up and expound for an hour, right? The people would hate me for that. But at the end of every team meeting, I had a, a, a soapbox moment. And I would put a soapbox up on the screen and people would roll their eyes like, oh, God, here we go again, right? But it was all those things where... I was trying to say the things that I felt the team needed to hear for us to continue growing it in a positive manner. And those were sometimes hard hitting and painful things. And every month it gave me an opportunity to hone that skill. So I found ways to practice without having it be at a conference that was once every six months. I, I used all of the team meetings that I was leading to figure out ways to capture the the minds of the people that were there that they'd been sitting in a meeting room for 45 minutes already and now here comes the boss he's going to talk for another 15 minutes and god just get me out of here i want to go eat lunch right so that that's a that's a hard room to, to 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 deal with and to understand so that compressed repetitive practice has really helped me i mean i think you bring up one of the side effects of if you're in a leadership role and almost everyone's in a leadership role, direct or indirect. Uh, I think public speaking and adeptness and situationalness and to be able to command a room and have hard conversations uh, in a teaching way, in a lighthearted way, in a, you know, not in a confront, in, in, you know, in a guiding way or coaching way uh, is it comes from public speaking. I mean, I've seen you do some of those soapbox moments uh, and, and they're very effective. 
and it's the same it's it's the same sort of style it's a different venue but yeah. it's it's that practice really helps i mean my public speaking has helped me be a better leader uh because you're teaching we as lead, yeah. you're role modeling as a leader you're teaching as a leader you're mentoring as a leader some of the same goals you have very many of the same goals we have as a public speaker we have as an internal leader. It's just that the audience is different and the situations could be different. Uh, so I noticed that it sharpened me on, you know, it's sharpened me on both sides of that. And I, I think that's one of the, what's in it for you if you're interested in public speaking. Um, but it really, it really makes for effective leadership. Uh, so it's not the number of talks that you've given. Now that you've said that, I think that style that you've had in a, in a collaborative style, because you've spent most of your leader, a lot of your leadership career in agile, yeah. right? Whereas you're, you're not just demanding from people, you're telling stories of people, right? You're influencing them. You're showing the way. You can see that in your, in your public speaking. The one thing that, I've seen that resonates with you, and this sounds like a Josh, you know, like a session where I, a Josh Anderson admiration session. Then I do keep keep, keep coming, right? Keep, I'm keep, not complaining. Yeah. But it's well, one of the things I learned early on. If you want to, it's not the elegance of your words, or it's not the uh, the powerpoints. It's do you have real experience? So I think the keys are what's where's your heart? What, what what's driving you? And people can determine that. So, are you trying to help? Is a key thing, or are you just you know doing it for yourself? And then, are you sharing real world stuff? Mm-hmm. Right. So, are you know is it is it a book thing you read a magazine, or is it something you learned the hard way? And I'll go back to the leadership summit. And Josh, I think what resonated from you wasn't power. I mean, you had some really cool slides and you had a really mm-hmm. cool style, right? And you engage, you had an engaging style. You were practiced. But if you were just talking about hypothetical stuff, right? You know, well, this, you know, I, I dreamed that we might, this might work this way, but I've never actually <laughs> used it myself. Yeah. People, people would have thrown stuff at you, right? These were people in the real world. And and so what I learned early on is, and I still try to this day to try to keep my talks grounded in, you know, the real world. Like this isn't some, this isn't what I think, this is what I've done, or this is what I've learned. It may not work for you, but, but I'm not pulling it out of my butt. This is real stuff that, that I found the hard way have worked for me and I'm trying to share it with you. So practical yeah. knowledge, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's something that you and I have both leaned towards with our talks and we find value in people that bring that same thing. So that's what steered us in that direction is that those talking heads that you can tell, like you've never actually done this. Um, it's, it, we're often quick to find those folks in that. And that's something again, where I try to gravitate towards the things that capture me. So someone that's been there and done that, 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 that means a lot more to me, right? Because they have those, those battle scars and those painful lessons um, learned. That's, that's been the thing that I value. So that's what I try, try to bring to the table because like I said, those are the things when I think back of, okay, gosh, so this person's actually done this and they've actually tried it and they put it in practice. And here's a real world example of how it worked and how it didn't work. And that, like I said, those are the things that mean the most to me because I know they're based more on facts than, than just theory. Yep. I mean, I think, I, I think one of the things too is, um, one of the other things related to that that I learned early on, I used to think that in order for me to do public speaking, I had to have this phenomenal revelation to share, right? Yeah. Um, it was like, you know, like the theory of, you know, gravity too or something like that, <laughs> like a Stephen Hawking moment. And, yeah. and if I didn't have something like that, then I wasn't worthy of public speaking. So I want to compliment its practical real world stuff, but it doesn't have to be esoteric it what i discovered is just share what what i might think is very simple 
Mm-hmm. And and not that powerful. Other people, it may solve one of their problems. It may be phenomenal for them. It may be something they've never thought of. Yep. So you're you're sharing those things. So it doesn't have to be earth shattering. Uh, and so don't fool yourself. I think it's sort of this trap where, oh, I can't. I don't have. I don't do anything that's you know worthy of public speaking. Don't think that way. Actually. Absolutely. Yep. What I found is is people are yearning. The stuff that most folks are doing in the real world can help someone else if you get out there and just share it. Uh, so it's sort of a trap that you can get into, and you don't want to get into that. What about the switch gears a little bit? Let's talk about uh, – so I mentored you, or I drug you in a little bit and said, <laughs> Josh. So I don't know if it was mentoring, if it was like roping. It might have been more like roping and hog tying. I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, what about mentoring other people? I, I would imagine you've had a chance to probably mentor other people. So talk about that a little bit, mentoring experiences. What does that look like? Yeah, it's 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 so much about getting them over that willingness to take the leap. And it's so I spent so much time where I see it in people and they are super passionate and really bright, right? So because you have to have the two, you can't just be smart. You have to be passionate about it to be willing to get it up there and put yourself out there. So, so much of the mentoring that I've been has just been like, Hey, you can do this. Let me help you. Let's work on some slides. Let's, let's find something. Let's, and then once I've gotten them over the crest of that hill, they're off and running. Right. But it's, it's that thing we spend a lot of time talking about is that initial fear up front of, Oh my gosh, can I really do this? And I've seen it in them and I know they can do it because I see them speaking in front of their team and having the courage to say the hard things and all those moments along the way that they aren't equating with the challenges of speaking in public. I see it in them and I know they can do it because they're doing it and they're not thinking about it. But the concept of volunteering and doing it at a scheduled time, at a scheduled moment, um, in front of a bunch of people you don't know, it gets back to that fear that you talked about of just getting them over the crest of that mountain and saying, okay, I can do it. And that's where I spent the bulk of my time is just encouragement. And then they're off and running. I, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, in um, role modeling. So I, 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 I know, um, so Lee Eason is a guy I worked with years ago at Eye Contact, and he now works at iPreo. And uh, he's now starting to do some public speaking. He's actually going to be speaking at the uh, at the Agile Dev Conference in Vegas, and uh, mm-hmm. and he's going to be facilitating a session too. So I've taken an interest in Lee, but I, I think my mentoring of Lee is more as a role model. Of he he's come to my sessions. Uh, and he's watched me, and then I've encouraged him a little bit. Like he's done some blog posts and writing, but I've encouraged his blogging more than I've encouraged his public speaking. And then, and then it's like a snowball. He starts generating some information. He's he's got a wonderful. He Lee is an extrovert, so Lee is extroverted. Mm-hmm. He's comfortable speaking with people. Um, he's got a wonderful sort of personal style of interacting with folks, which is going to make his public speaking easier than than right. I've had. Uh, etc. And then finding. So I, I think there's the encouragement side of things. I think there's also the role modeling that we're, you know, we, we need to be cognizant that we are role models, right? Uh, and the people are watching us too. And so the, there's those sides of things. Uh, and then and then I remember I'll use real names. I, Mary Thorne is someone who I interviewed her at Eye Contact, I think in 2011 or 12, let's say. Um, and in the interview, she made the mistake of saying she wanted to do public speaking. <laughs> and, and she's like, can you help me with that? And that was a mistake for her to actually. Yeah. And, and she and she came out and asked me to be a mentor. And that's that's something I would actually encourage Metacasters to, to don't. To, back to what Josh, there's the encouragement side. But I would say if 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 this, you know, influences you, this Metacast, reach out to someone specific, very specifically and ask them for help. And, 
and that, but then be willing to, it's not just one way, then don't just, okay, turn me into a public speaker. Mm-hmm. So Mary asked me, so we, we established like a verbal contract and that contract is actually in existence to this day. So we have a verbal contract that says I am her mentor and she is my mentee and, uh, and we meet periodically to talk about, uh, you know, can I help in certain ways? And sometimes I give her advice and sometimes I'm coaching. Um, we've also, I've also mentored her very specifically in public speaking. Mm-hmm. And Mary went from track talks to workshops and I I pair with her. So I invited her to pair on workshops and she's done a keynote, one or two keynotes, which is, which is sort of the top of the scale. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't get invited to that if you if you don't have chops, and so what is that in years? It's 2018, so that's maybe five or six years that she's been on this in this journey. So I think part of for me uh, is reach out for help and ask people. Don't be shy about that. It, it hasn't been a burden to me. I mean, it's not. I don't. I don't keep an hour account. I don't think I've done a lot of hours, mm-hmm. but it's something that we've worked together on. I, I look at you and I, Josh, in somewhat. We haven't. We don't have a formal contract, but we have an informal relationship, right? Yeah. Where we we sort of work together that way. Uh, the Mary contract was a little bit more formalized, um, and 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 I think you want to be you, you want to reach out. It takes courage to do that sometimes. The other thing, Metacasters, I want to say is it's not. You have to be active. So if Mary did wouldn't do her part. I would stop now, now, yeah. now, now she's a friend and a colleague, but back in the beginning, part of it was, I was, it wasn't just my job to turn her into a public speaker. She had to do her part. She had to try, she had to invite me and she had, she had issues. Mary, Mary suffered from talking fast in the beginning, just like I did. And I was very empathetic mm-hmm. to that. In fact, she talked faster than I ever talked. So I was like, I was like, holy crap. This is the first person I've ever met who could actually out talk me in a speed <laughs> in a speed contest, uh, and and we work together uh, on that. Uh, you have to be willing to do your part. You have to be willing to take feedback, constructive feedback, and do something with it. Uh, otherwise, your mentor is going to. It's like, well, you know, it's it, you know, what's in it for me, or you know, well, I'm, you know. It's a collaborative relationship. I guess I'm not saying it very well, but it's not a lazy relationship. It's an active relationship. And I think that would be part of the journey as well. Uh, Josh, any reactions to what I said? Yeah, to me, that, that that's the coachability thing. That's what every coach, be it sports or business or any part of life is looking for, is that responsiveness and the ownership where it's not just me telling you what to do, but you're engaging and you're trying, you're coming back with questions and you're, and you have a, you have an approach and you say, Hey, what do you think about this? Would this work? Or I've tried this, or I'd like to do this. All those things that you have to actively engage to get really good at something and to get the most out of a coaching opportunity, right? If you just kind of lay there like a bump on the log, then the person that's coaching you has other things to do, right? And there's other um, people that may engage more that that coach is going to gravitate towards because they're not, right? You're a busy guy. And the fact that you give time to so so many people, um, people need to understand the value of that and the value of any coach where they're taking time out of their day to help you um, and and, and, and taking every moment of that and even time away from that to be prepared for those discussions and to really, really get better. Those are the things that make a great student and that help people become whatever they want to be. So I think we've covered the Metacast pretty well. Um, what do you think? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I'll be interested to, to, to hear from people that are listening, that are on the fence are there things that we didn't cover that you have questions about um, that can a, help you take that leap? That's a good point. Uh, the other, so I, I really, Metacasters, uh, reach out to us. Is there a follow-up Metacast that we can do that would help? Uh, I do plan on, this is related to the last Metacast on TechWell, on my new role. And I do plan on doing some speaker development activities as part of that. I, I do want to do, Years ago, I put together like a speaking 101 uh, 
I, it's going to be interesting to even dust it off, but uh, I, I might do a webinar um, selfishly to try to develop people for the TechWell conferences and just to give back. And maybe Josh and I could do that together. Uh, I just surprised him, so I'll talk to him offline. <laughs> I'm in. But, uh, but uh, do a webinar on that. That's a virtual thing. Maybe do that periodically. Uh, so if you, if you like that idea, then give us, give us feedback uh, on the, uh, the Metacast blog and, and let us know. But I, I've been thinking about doing that myself. Uh, hold on, Josh. I'm going to have an interrupt in a second. Okay. Um, I'm back. The other thing, uh, is, uh, at the TechWell conferences, I'm thinking about doing some, uh, you know, speaking one-on-ones there. Uh, again, uh, it's a little selfish where I'd like to, I'd like to help the new voices. So this goes back to really encouraging developing the new voices, um, that I'd like to start bringing into the TechWell conferences. So give us feedback on this, the quality of this. Uh, but I, if I had a closing moment, I'd like you to close too, Josh. So think about it. Um, my closing comment would be just do it. It's that Nike, yeah. and I'm not I'm not saying that artificially. It just do it. It's not something. If you think about it, you're going to get scared, uh, and it, it really is intimidating. Uh, so you, so public speaking is something where you just have to dive in, um, and then uh, and then just practice it. And get a little help. You know, you can do some role modeling, et cetera. But di- dive in. The, the second thing is it's just absolutely freaking worthwhile. I can't tell you how many aspects of your profession, of your personal life, where it will help you. So you'll be helping people, but it's also by helping others, you're helping yourself. Your ability to communicate. Uh, your ability to handle adversity, your ability to think under stress, your ability to think situationally. I would have never guessed at all of the benefits that it had. So those are the two things. It's a just do it moment. And it's so valuable. I can't tell you just how incredibly valuable it is as a skill to develop. Josh, what would be your closing sort of comments? Um, I don't know how to say anything other than a big fat ditto on that. <laughs> I mean, th- those are all the things I was going to say that it's, it's, it's been nothing but positive. I can't think of one negative thing that has come from the opportunities I've had to speak publicly. It's helped just as Bob said in a unimaginable number of ways. And I can't think of one negative part of that journey. So it is completely worth it. And as I mentioned with the people that I've tried to push over the edge, once you go over the edge, you're going to say, gosh, I wish I'd have done this sooner. And it, it's, it's one of those things that we've both said it now, just the return on the investment is massive. Oh my gosh, what a way to close. So from that point of view, Metacasters from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, and in beautiful Fuquay Verena, North Carolina. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake and bake, y'all. Have a good one.